defense Lloyd Austin is under fire for his unreported absence while the world burns. Hunter Biden attempts to toy with Congress on his contempt charges. And a moment of truth coming for Speaker Mike Johnson as another government shutdown is looming. Senator Ron Johnson is here on all the top stories. And then American and British forces respond to the Houthi rebels as the Middle East war continues to escalate. Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari tells us what we can expect in the Middle East and China in 2024. And in light of the J6 events, millions of Americans are asking the question, what really constitutes an insurrection? Well, new to the America Out Loud family of experts, Dr. Ted Noel explains why the rule of lenity will deliver a nine to zero response from the Supreme Court in the Colorado ballot decision. Viewpoint this Sunday is next. the bias, the lies and deceit, and bring forth real talk from real people about real news, providing the out loud truth and capturing the essence of a new generation all in a fast-paced hour. This is Viewpoint This Sunday. Welcome to the weekend news magazine, Viewpoint This Sunday. It is Malcolm Out Loud here and Happy New Year again, my fellow Americans, and to all of our friends around the world here. Welcome into the broadcast, and uh, a lot going on back at AmericaOutloud.news as we rev up for a, a pretty tremendous news year. I think we can all sense that. Uh, right at the top of America Out Loud, you'll see our, our slogan, uh, Many Voices, One Freedom, United in the First Amendment. And that is, for sure, an American tradition that we will carry on here at America Out Loud. A lot of great new writers, new programming, a lot of things happening on the network. We'll get started here on the news magazine right up top with a lot of big, big stories here. We're going to start with Senator Ron Johnson joins me. And Senator Johnson serves on the Budget, Foreign Relations and Commerce, Science and Transportation Committees. He is now ranking member of the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations was chairman of the Homeland Security Governmental Affairs Committee from 2015 to 21. And uh, I think, well, I'm from what we see, one of the most uh, courageous and uh, not afraid to use his voice for good here. Uh, welcome to the broadcast, uh, Senator Johnson. Morning, Malcolm. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned the First Amendment. I was in an event for the Epoch Times uh, unveiling their new documentary. And I read the First Amendment to the audience because it's under assault. Uh, you know, just the components of the First Amendment, there, there are five freedoms that were guaranteed. The first being the exercise of religion, which should not be infringed upon. The second is free speech. The third is freedom of the press, which is what we're exercising right here. Uh, the fourth is the freedom to peace, peaceably assemble. And the fifth is to petition your government. Now, all of all of those elements uh, certainly are being threatened and have been infringed upon by our government. And that is what is so important that Americans understand what's happening to them, to us. And 
open up their eyes and make sure that uh, we start defeating these radical leftists who are, are taking away our freedom. Yeah. Those uh, five uh, rights uh, that you just mentioned right there, uh, there's no doubt they are under arrest. Uh, Got to go to the Middle East first here before we get to some of the domestic stories. And um, so uh, we've seen the targets in the Red Sea. We've seen what's been happening there for a while. Uh, so the Associated Press, they say, uh, through the Biden administration and its allies, have tried to calm tensions in the Middle East for weeks and prevent any wider conflict. The strikes uh, threaten to ignite one. Now, that's that's the message I'm hearing from a lot of the news sources. And but isn't that part of the problem, Senator, that the fact that that's the approach they're taking, it's not one of strength. It's, it's not one of American tradition. Uh, it's one of a very guarded approach, like they're walking on eggshells. And those uh, terrorist groups know that Iran knows that everybody knows that. Isn't that the problem? Well, I, th I think the problem is so much what we're doing today is all tactical. Um, you know, I started out with the First Amendment because that is just a fundamental principle. And yes, it's true that, that Americans, we're, we're going to be disagreeing about all kinds of things. That's right. Uh, but in terms of the, the basic principles of, of what made this country great, uh, the, the, the principle that the role of government is primarily to protect our freedoms, not to guarantee us equity, uh, it's there to make sure that we have equal opportunity, that we're all treated fairly. Um, when, when it comes to foreign policy, uh, a very basic fundamental is, is you achieve peace through strength. And th that's not just military strength. It, that's the last part of the equation there. The, the, the main strength is, is a unified country, uh, a prosperous country, one that is not mortgaging and plundering its children's future. Uh, it's, it's adhering to those principles to maintain that, that shining city on a hill. And when it comes to our interaction with other nations, it really ought to be that we should lead with those basic principles and adhere to them. Uh, you know, our, our founders were completely opposed to foreign entanglements. Um, now, you know, with, with, the world, with World War II and, and the, the rise of America as, as the world's superpower, uh, we have been thrust into uh, the position of, of being a world leader, uh, a global leader. Um, I don't think that we can be the policeman of the world. What we should be doing is that we should be that shiny example, that city on a hill, and we should be promoting our values, freedom, uh, equal opportunity, um, not, not pushing LGBTQ rights on other nations that don't embrace those. And that's an awful lot what our State Department does today. And you have to take a look at U.S. foreign policy, our foreign entanglements, uh, go, go back to the Vietnam War, uh, follow that through to uh, the war in Afghanistan and Iraq and now Ukraine. Uh, and, and ask the question, what did we achieve by involvement in that? What, what has been the result of those wars and what's going to be the result now of taking military action. I, and I certainly understand uh, we need to keep, you know, shipping lanes open. Uh, our Navy should be used to make maintain the, the freedom of the, of the seas, but that should be done in concert with all world powers, hmm. including China, including Russia. Uh, the, the fact that our foreign policy has got us in the position where we are, where we are, 
in in opposition where where we are you know not not just friendly competitive economic rivals but adversaries and fighting proxy wars uh it's not working and we need to, uh, to do a complete reassessment a paradigm shift in our thinking uh, but it starts with a retrospective look at what has been the result of the, the, the foreign entanglements over the last 50 years. So, you know, right now you see the protests on the street in Yemen, uh, those military strikes. Uh, I guess you can argue we have to do something to stop the piracy, but to have to take a look at, well, something is not working when we, we do military strikes and you see, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people in the street of Yemen, yeah. uh, we're, we're not we're not bringing people to our side. We're alienating people. That That's a dangerous that's a okay. dangerous display that we're witnessing there in Yemen right now. Iran's getting what they want out of this thing. We're all complex, confused, and we're fighting all these little proxy groups and what have you all over the place. We're tied up with that nonsense. In the meantime, it's exactly, I think they're winning. They've got the whole deal where they want it because we're not willing to be brave against Iran by bringing it to them. And until we bring that to those powers, isn't that truly, truly the problem there? Certainly Iran is the problem in the Middle East, no doubt about it. But the fact that Iran isn't isolated, that Iran is aligned now with China and Russia. The fact that uh, so many of our actions have, have pushed Russia into the arms of China. And so, so we have this axis of evil. And a nuclear Iran threatens China's position in the world, threatens world commerce. Uh, Ch China should not be working toward propping up Iran. They, they should be working with us to isolate Iran to make sure it never becomes a nuclear power. So th that's really what I'm talking about is we need to rethink what are actions? Again, I'm not blaming America. Uh, we've got some pretty evil people in charge of these other regimes, but I would like to think there's a more intelligent way of pursuing our aims. I mean, let's just take a look at Russia. It's been reported that uh, James Baker, at the fall of the Soviet Union, told Gorbachev or you know whoever the ambassador to Russia was at that point in time that we would never we would never move NATO an, an inch to the east. Right. We, we've we've moved NATO hundreds of miles to the east. We never should have let the tensions between Russia and the United States and Ukraine get to the point where Russia felt like they could get away with invading Ukraine or yeah. Ukraine. So again, there, there's just been mistake after mistake. We, we don't we don't own up to these mistakes. We don't we don't take a look at well that that didn't turn out too well. Is, is there a better way of doing this? You know, we're, we're all in favor of sanctions, right? Russia bad, sanctions good. And not recognize the fact where those sanctions are causing these nations to, to hoard gold, to move toward replacing the U.S. dollar as the, as the world's uh, yeah. reserve currency. Um, again, it's, it's pushing these yeah. adversaries in, into each other's arms so they're becoming a stronger alliance against us and yeah. can become more challenging to us driving up the price of oil, which is very advantageous to Russia. I mean, the sanctions aren't working against Russia. They're they're actually playing into Russia's hands. And we're just not willing to admit it because everybody's, you know, sanctions are good. Well, sanctions are failing. S sanctions are probably counterproductive the way we're employing them right now. And they're going to lead to the downfall of the U.S. as the dollar, as, as the world's reserve currency, which will be disastrous for us when we're $34 trillion in debt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, I want to ask you briefly about Secretary of Defense, uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Uh, this unreported hospitalization, as all this is going on, quite striking that this has happened. Let me get a, just a quick word from you on this. Pretty shocking, isn't it? It truly is. I mean, it's, I would consider it a, an enormous dereliction of duty on his part, but also the Biden administration. I mean, the world is in flames. I mean, you just saw we we took defensive action with uh, Ukraine against Yemen. We were at that point. We've been at that point for months as Iranian proxies have been attacking U.S. soldiers throughout the Middle East, you know, attacking shipping lanes, uh, threatening the, the, the free navigation on, on the seas. And during this time period, the president didn't even know the Secretary Austin was suffering from prostate cancer. And obviously, I, I hope for a, a full recovery. Uh, the secretary didn't tell anybody that he was undergoing surgery and he would be under anesthesia and not able to carry out his duties. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, this is, it's amateur hour. Well, people are calling for his resignation or some sort of the administration do something. Should they, or should this just be overlooked or what? I I mean, I I think he probably ought to resign. Truthfully. I mean, you know, uh, this, again, this is such an enormous dereliction of duty here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This isn't something that should just be overlooked, but, now, Malcolm, if this were a Republican administration and yeah. a Secretary of Defense service a Republican president, yeah. the mainstream media would be screaming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay? yeah. If, it was, if this was Trump's defense secretary, you, the roof would be blown off. Are you kidding? Yeah. So, again, I, I, I hope for his full recovery and stuff, but this yeah. is a major breach. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just such a dereliction of duty. All right. Uh, I want to get your uh, thoughts uh, briefly on Hunter Biden. Uh, You're one of the most informed, uh, uh, you and uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, who we've spoke to many times on this story as well. I mean, totally are on top of this uh, story with Hunter Biden. But it seems like he's uh, doing his best to try to flip the script and uh, go from, um, uh, you know, play victim now. Uh, It's been really, it's a whole strategy they're obviously playing out. Uh, I imagine they're having these uh, meetings in the back rooms of uh, the White House, I would imagine. I don't know. But uh, this was quite something. He came in uh, with the congressional uh, leaders and uh, uh, after they're going to hold him for contempt. What do you you think about this new strategy that Hunter, you know, listen, I got to tell you, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I find all this a distraction, frankly, because I'm going to tell you right now, Senator, no matter what happens with Hunter Biden, he's going to be pardoned at the end of the day. This guy will never see an hour of a jail cell in his life, even though he's a criminal. He'll never see an hour. I'm just going to put that out there. That's a fact. And uh, so I, I, don't, I think he's going to be pardoned. I think when Biden exits the White House, which will be not too long, that's he's going to pardon his whole damn family. He has to because they're all criminals. Uh, so that's what's going to happen there. So that's all a distraction. But what do you think about this flipped in the script business he's doing? Well, first of all, as a father, you know, I've always said I, I took no joy in investigating and exposing the truth about Hunter Biden to the American public. I, I didn't do it to attack Hunter or even his father, you know, in the role of a father. The problem is his father, understanding the baggage that Hunter brought to the table, understanding the corruption of Biden, Inc., decided to run for president. And as a result, knew, and I knew, that the president with all those, that vast web of foreign financial entanglements would be highly compromised as president of the United States. And that's exactly the position we're in right now. So 
you know, it, it's, I mean, Hunter Biden, you know, could, could be a sympathetic figure if he would, you know, melt into the background and admit his wrongdoing and, you know, pay the price for his wrongdoing, but that's not what he's doing. He's pleading not guilty. Uh, he's, he's playing the, the sympathy card here. And at that point, I, I, I lose sympathy for him. When, when, I, when you recognize that he spent over $600,000 uh, abusing sex trafficked women, yeah, I, hold on. I, I want to. I want to tell listeners. You, you, you had an amazing tweet you put out there. Uh, there first, there was an initial tweet from Benny Johnson said, uh, "What kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mister Biden?" To which you responded, "I thought it was great." You said, "Great question. Better question. How many sex trafficked women did you abuse?" That was quite a tweet. Yeah, but again, that's that's all being glossed over in the media. You know, we have the Me Too movement, but it just doesn't apply to Democrats or to certainly not Hunter Biden. So you, you need you need to understand is, is Hunter Biden is trying to play the sympathy card and, and accuse Republicans of attacking him to get at his father. No, certainly Senator Grassley and I in issuing our report, we were just trying to warn the American public that if you elect Joe Biden as president, he's going to be highly compromised because of the actions of Hunter Biden and James Biden and quite honestly, Joe Biden, you know, being the, the don of this crime family. Uh, so, again, I, 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 I lose all sympathy for Hunter Biden and for Joe Biden in, in their roles of a troubled sex, sex and drug addicted son and father uh, when they burst into the public realm and impose all of this corruption on the American public and compromise America's national security as a result. Yeah. And, and, you know, the shocking thing to what you say there is the whole world knows. I mean, their their dirty laundry is been exposed all over the world. Everybody, every leader knows, every person, everybody knows. And the dirty laundry, it's not a secret. And so none of this, the charade is not playing well. But again, I find it all a moot point because they're definitely all going to get a pardon. There's no doubt on my mind. Um, that's what will happen. This is what we do here. And it's the privilege uh, that one man has as president. It's the one thing he can do. And that's what's going to happen. I want to turn to, uh, wow, this uh, government uh, shutdown looming. Boy, that's a that's a soundbite we hear an awful lot in our lives. But Speaker Mike Johnson, okay, how is he going to maneuver? They've now separated their individual spending bills. Part of the government is in mode to close, which, frankly, I think a lot of listeners would enjoy a good long-term government. I know you can't really say that, but I can government shut down to get it back into order. So what's going to happen with this now? He's sort of doing a lot of dancing there with trying to bring this all together. Is he successful in this endeavor? So understand how well honed the process is for plundering and mortgaging our kids' future. Yeah. And it was uh, set in motion. You know, don't pass any appropriation bills. Uh, instead, wait till you actually begin the, the, the fiscal year. Start passing continuing resolutions, have them expire right before Thanksgiving or right before Christmas, uh, dump a multi-thousand page omnibus spending bill loaded up with pork barrel spending earmarks, and just basically extort members of Congress to, to vote for that or else you're going to shut down the government. Uh, Speaker Johnson uh, accepted this role. Uh, Speaker McCarthy had set up a, a really grotesque process by not negotiating a $1.5 trillion increase to debt ceiling. He just suspended it which will increase uh, the debt ceiling by about $4 trillion when, when uh, uh, that suspension ends. 
So you know, he, he was dealt a horrible deck of cards, and he's trying to navigate that with now a very slender majority. So I, I, listen, I, I think Speaker Johnson is a really good person, a true fiscal conservative, uh, but he's just got no room, room, room to move. They get, they get sucked into the system. We knew that was going to happen. He's everything you just said. He's a good conservative Christian man. He's got great principles. But the system is so overwhelming. I think that's the problem with Washington. It's broken, uh, Senator, right? I mean, he's in a bad spot, oh. isn't he? You know? Again, we're not focusing on, on the main problem. I mean, we spent $4.4 trillion only four years ago. Then we went on the COVID pandemic uh, spending spree, uh, spending well in excess of $6 trillion each year. Now we've pretty well laid that in as a baseline. And so the, you know, the, the MAG Republicans, you know, <laughs> we're concerned about the fact we're plundering our, our kids' future, but we're only dealing with about less than 30% of the budget. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to at least address that. That's what the House Conservatives are trying to do. That's what Speaker Johnson is trying to do. But, you know, what, what I guess what I'm suggesting is at this point, uh, funding for fiscal 2024 has been so screwed up personally. And this is the Speaker proposed this, but he doesn't have the votes in his conference. It's just do a one-year continuing resolution and turn your attention to the discretionary part of the budget for a functioning budget and appropriation process for fiscal year 2025. And he's having a real difficult time getting his conference to, to agree to that. You know, some people are just utterly opposed to CRs. I understand that, but you have to look at the alternative. If we don't do something like that, we're going to get a, in the end, we'll end up with a massive omnibus spending bill with all kinds of earmarks. I guess that's what I would, and I do try and talk to, you know, conservatives and just take a look at the alternative. Yeah. Uh, and support something that's better than that. As much as you hate the least worst alternative, is better than what the the probable probable alternative is going to be if we don't offer something. Oh, else. Yeah. So, well, you're, you're negotiating some rocky waterways uh, very much with what you're saying right there. But this is what upsets uh, conservative Americans and patriots. Uh, you're 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 right, and they're upset with the fact that. These cats run on a particular campaign or a soundbite, uh, Senator, and they don't they almost never follow through with the way they should or what the way conservatives would like them to do. But the system is stacked against. Be and, and right away, when you look today, uh, as I say to you, ABC, CBS, NBC, it doesn't matter what the network is. There's extreme right, not the crazy people. That's how you're branded. And most people pick that up in America and say, what the what are those extreme right people doing again, man, trying to have some, you know, common sense to our but again what's it we're going to have to wait till uh we explode and then someone's going to say what happened i mean until somebody takes a stand we're we're sort of in a very bad predicament this last story is is uh we'll end on right here probably used the word shocking a couple times i don't know what else word we use but it is crazy and this when i first heard this story i i just really almost even couldn't believe it our school children up there in New York City, uh, they couldn't get to school anymore. They're being replaced by the migrants. I mean, literally couldn't get into the school system because they're trying to educate and get all these migrants that are now in there into the school system, which is what we knew what would happen. And I mean, this is incredible. Uh, what do you make of this quick? Well, the only reason the mainstream media is even covering the catastrophe on the border. Yeah is because they can't ignore it anymore. When you have uh, Mayor Adams in New York with less than 2% of the, the migrant flow, about 100,000 out of the more than 6 million people that have been let in under the Biden administration saying that that's gonna bankrupt his city. And then an example like this where, you know, school children who need to go to school, who need to learn to have any future in this country, 
Uh, now, now they're going to be displaced in their school by by migrants, and you know the, the hundreds of billions of dollars these six million migrants are going to be costing us annually to take care of them. So the mainstream media can't ignore it anymore, and so now there's a little pressure being put to bear on on President Biden and his allies in in the Congress who want an open border, who caused this problem. We're, we're negotiating with him, James Langford. He, I think he's trying to do a good job here, but. The, the, the deck is stacked against him because he's negotiating with people that want an open border and they're mainly negotiating for political cover. And so I think the result is going to be very unsatisfying as hard as James uh, Langford is trying to work this thing. Um, the, the deck is stacked against him as well. So uh, again, our big problem and this is the greatest danger to our democracy is the exercise of the freedom of the press is not being done with an unbiased media uh, that is going to hold both sides equally accountable. O over the decades now, we have a highly biased media. They're a bunch of radical leftists themselves. They're basically mouthpieces for the Democrat Party. And I would argue that is the greatest danger to our democracy right now, is we don't have a, an honest and unbiased media holding both sides accountable. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, you know, we we got to be careful uh, when we use that word democracy, but uh, we got to keep reminding the leftist progressivism Marxist uh, group that we are a constitutional republic, Senator. Uh, is that not a correct statement? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I completely agree with that. I'm just using the, the term. I know. They, I know. I know. They, they are they are the danger to our federated I republic. Okay. It's just like when people use the word MAGA and they've made such a, a mockery out of that. I, I, I you know, I, I have them try to rebu I'd rather have them rebuke America first. Like, so I don't even want to use I don't even care about the America first. So who wants to who wants to downplay that? It, let's get let's we got to use the language to expose the left for who they are. That's all I'm saying, because this language thing, they are brilliant at screwing up our language and destroying real conversation. And um, anyways, I'm just saying that, um, you know, the, 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 this is part of part and parcel of the problem and they win it. They've got the media. They've got everything. And this is why we're in trouble on so many levels. It's It's crazy. Thank you, as always, for joining us here on these stories and this uh, your honesty and these uh, your analysis on these things. Thank you, Senator. Have a great day and stay well. Absolutely. Uh, OK, friends, we're going to take a pause here and, and come back uh, and do a deeper dive with the Middle East here. Lieutenant uh, uh, Colonel Sergeant Sangari joins us in just moments. Stay right there. More Viewpoint in just a moment. America Out Loud talk radio app is on Android or Apple. It's the perfect way to listen in to the new generation of talk shows and hosts who are ready to inform and inspire. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. 
get heart healthy, go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Welcome back to Viewpoint this Sunday. Yes, indeed, Malcolm Outlaw here, yours truly. Always a privilege to be with you, my fellow Americans and all of our dear friends around the world. Listen up now. We're going to jump into some Middle East policy with a with a guy who knows a little bit about this. Uh, Sergius Sangari joins me, retired lieutenant colonel, U.S. Army Infantry Special Operational Forces, uh, decades of military experience, and uh, has been, been around the block just a couple of times there and uh, has a sense of what's going on out there and, and really... Uh, you know, uh, I got to tell you, th- this whole thing really is about strategy out there, Colonel. That's what this is about, uh, understanding. Uh, well, it's like the fog of war, really, what we're dealing with. So let's dive into it now a little bit here. Talk about a little bit about what's going on with the Houthis, Iran. And also Gaza has sort of quieted down a minute as the Houthis are revving up in the Red Sea there. Um, you see, we have these attacks, British and American forces, uh, a lot of people think it's a little late in the game, but better late than never, I guess. Uh, the, the Houthis, uh, they're not backing down. They're pretty bracive, but that's how they caught. That's how they grabbed the capital out there anyways and did what they did. But they're saying they're going to retaliate in other ways. Uh, what's your sense of this right there with the, with the uh, Houthis there? Well, first, it's good to be here. I mean, the Houthis are being paid by Iran. They're established by Iran. They're funded by Iran. So they're going to do what their boss tells them to do, just like everybody else here would. Um, And the same thing uh, when it comes to the Hamas and uh, Hezbollah. I know in um, August of last year, uh, I sent out the note uh, that uh, the attack against Hezbollah will be imminent because we kind of saw this coming that Israel was at a crossroads, that it would have to take action against the Hezbollah. If it was going to survive, what was going to happen starting in 2024, I truly believe that that action cannot be avoided. It's whether or not the United States is going to get involved in supporting its ally Israel um, during these operations. Uh, keep in mind, Israel uh, is suffering casualties because of the restrictions that somewhat have been put by Biden administration's um, uh, force on uh, Netanyahu, where instead of basically bombing a building, that entire building is nothing more than a military basing. Uh, you have Israeli soldiers that have to go floor to floor um, uh, and uh, room to room. And you will suffer more casualties in that capacity. When we initially went in and were fighting the insurgents in Mosul, uh, the first Mosul insurgency fight uh, cost almost 60,000, uh, 40 to 60,000 civilian casualties. And uh, to put a demand on the Israelis that they have to be very careful about how they're clearing uh, the entire area of Gaza uh, is going to allow them uh, to be in a position, unfortunately, that they're going to receive more casualties. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not they're going to have the will to fight, uh, as far as the Israeli people are concerned, against Hezbollah once that front is open, is going to be difficult. So what's happening with the Houthis is nothing more than the pre-stage for what is going to happen in Lebanon. Yeah, that is that is a great assessment opening up here. I got to tell you right now, you covered the whole spectrum there of um, Hezbollah a bit and uh, what's going on in Gaza. And of course, Iran being behind all of this and and the casualties, as you point out, rightfully so, that Israel, why they've been able to minimize a lot of it, this this, uh, combat on the ground was always going to do that because that's by design there. Uh, now, the question you brought up just a second ago, 
uh, it was whether the Biden administration will support that as has you're very confident. In fact, you just did a show on Hezbollah with great interview, by the way. But you talked about it, about, um, uh, you know, that this is Im- imminent. What will happen there? What are they? Everything's timing in this game. What are they exactly waiting for? Is it, I mean, you expect that other shooter drop with Hezbollah. And of course, they have a lot more firepower than Hamas had. That's a problem for Israel, isn't it? Oh, well, it is. I mean, uh, Hezbollah is actually much better uh, suited to conduct the type of fight that Hamas wasn't. The the one thing you have to keep in mind, Hezbollah is almost like a strategic reserve for Iran if Iran is engaged. But I would tell you, especially uh, this is where people have to do the link analysis with the elections that took place in Taiwan and a separate separate, uh, government coming in uh, opposite of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, now it may push the timeline for the CCP ahead. And keep in mind that really the person who's the backbone for Iran, as much as Iran is calling the shots with the uh, uh, these different groups, is actually the uh, China, the Chinese Communist Party and the uh, Shanghai Corporation Organization, which Russia and Iran are signatorials to. So that's what is really backing up Iran's ability and gives them the political clout on the national security. Sergeant, I want to ask you something here, do you, based on what you say here. Do you think, uh, yeah, or, or maybe I should ask it this way. You you don't think that with all this going on, the, the, the distractions of all of it, back to the CCP, China, you, you don't believe that this is the launching pad for their uh, Taiwan excursion in the immediate moment, do you or do you? Well, it, it is all a matter of how uh, how much politically, economically, um, the Biden administration is tied uh, to the Chinese Communist Party. Keep in mind, I had written an uh, article in 2015 that talked about the new power relations, which was a speech that Wang Yi had given at Brookings Institute, which at that time, when we thought there was going to be a counter by the U.S. as to China's vision globally with the U.S., um, that uh, Susan Rice would give a counter, but Susan Rice stood in uh, George Washington and talked about how we can actualize uh, their uh, Wang Yi's proposal. And, um, you know, current administration still has a lot of those individuals from the Obama administration that are tied to it. And the focus of the Obama administration at that time was to be able to have a better more linkage with South America, which you can see right now coming to the southern border. So it's a matter of how much of a tie um, they have this administration with the Chinese Communist Party, depending on what would happen in the next uh, this All year. Right. You got me thinking now. You really got me thinking. And and I got to I got to go here. I wasn't planning on this, but I, but I got to I my I got, I got to go here a moment here. It's this. All right. Less than a year. China knows it's less than one year they have Biden in the White House, okay? They understand they've sized this thing up perfectly. They know who he is very intimately. And now uh, they know there's going to be a change of government uh, in the beginning of 2025. Now, we're distracted, as you just say, with all these world events. Uh, What's happening in Ukraine-Russia is a major distraction, and surely the Middle East has got us pretty tied up. Now, most people I speak to on the other side of this, Sargis, believe that, well, really, we're talking a couple of few years away, maybe even longer than that, before they try to go after Taiwan. 
Xi Jinping has made it very clear what his intentions are. There's there's no room in his vocabulary to understand anything different. He's 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 actually told Biden that the last time they got together. You know what I'm talking about. So yeah. my question is, does this all change now? I mean, could this I mean, I, I, I did not think or fathom that this would happen in the short term. But if that door is closing, I mean, listen, listen, Sergeant, they know darn well America is not going to go to a. a a uh, uh, an actual war with China. I don't. I mean, I think they think that we can't stretch that far thin. Now, of course, Taiwan themselves would give them a hard time, but they're probably prepared for that and have thought all that through with their war games. Do you see where I'm at? What is? Could that be? I mean, or is this far from reality? Or could they make the move in the short? No, term? I mean, who thought that October seven would take place? And it's wrong. Right. So I mean, uh, you you got to be plan. You got to be ready for the worst case scenario, and I think the worst case scenario when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party is happening. They just lost the election in Taiwan, that they were trying to influence. Uh, their economy is in a free fall. Uh, the banks that are not backed up by them are suffering. This global re uh, recession may hit uh, before the end of the uh, year, and uh, the last time the only way they they survived was COVID. When COVID hit. Uh, their economy was going down the tubes in um, uh, August of 2019. Um, they were about to almost be bankrupt. And what saved them was all the money that was infused after COVID hit uh, in the billions uh, into the Chinese economy because they're the ones who supplied us our medical requirements and needs. So they're in the same position now. And I don't think the the ability of global support for China if another pandemic hits is there. But that said, guess what? Uh, you may not have an option. Sometimes, look, uh, you know, and the enemy knows that this is the only route you can attack into the enemy lines, um, you know, but you have to do it. The terrain doesn't change. The uh, timing doesn't change. Uh, there is an art and a science for political gains, and war is nothing more than a means of political discussion. Um, I think they're trying to avoid it, but if there is a major loss by U U.S. forces in the region, I think even then, even as much as uh, Biden is uh, somewhat compromised, I would say nicely, uh, with the Chinese Communist Party, he will have no choice when the generals walk and say, sir, this is your only option because of what they did. Mm -hmm. And he would have to go. And that that's the only way the equation will change. Otherwise, even the Japanese are not confident that U.S. will stand by and once the shooting war takes place or right. stand by Taiwan. Taiwan still doesn't have the munitional capabilities to be able to support itself. And if the world believes that a uh, next president of the United States is going to be the old Donald Trump, uh, right, right. They may they may take that step uh, given uh, yeah. what the weather conditions are going to be prior to November or during the transition process yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, because you're talking a, a 180 in uh, in political strategy and geopolitical uh, affairs. You're talking a, a 180 here with a with a Trump administration, no doubt about it. And that changes the complete uh, landscape to your point of strategy warfare. All right, uh, let's get to. Uh, here's the thing. I, my sense is we're in a status quo right now. Status quo with Iran. This administration is not going to do anything against the Ayatollahs. Very clearly. There, there's no strategic uh, initiative. In fact, they've gone the opposite way with funding these things and sending money and doing all the things, not doing the proper sanctions, allowing them to, to produce oil, do all of this stuff. And that has empowered them and enriched them. 
uh, to do these things. So Iran knows that. They're emboldened right now uh, to do these things, Iran. And right now, they're playing this chess game. I, I, I'm going to say to you right now, and you tell me back, but it, it, I'm guessing, I'm thinking here, Iran is playing the chess game brilliantly right now. They are really working it over and tightening the screws pretty well uh, to our country, to freedom, to the West. Is is that a correct statement? Yeah, I, I think they've learned to do that. Uh, they're good at it. Look, they sat across the table from all the European nations and struck a deal, right, that was not favorable to anyone except for them. And, um, um, I mean, you could take a look at what's happening on the ground. They, they do have a lot of influence in D.C., um, and certain even agencies that have uh, significant ties to the Iranian government uh, through the people that they have hired. That's, that's been done on purpose by the administration. They understand that. Uh, take a look at what happened with the new tanker that was just taken. You know, as much as uh, we, uh, you know, um, we will say it's not an American tanker, it's Greek registered, but it was uh, pretty much an American tanker requirement when it came to the oil. Uh, we took one of their ships, uh, we downloaded their oil in Texas, sent it back to them. They took one of our ships for the same amount, uh, downloaded the oil, but they're going to keep it as far as what they've said. So I, I don't know what political back and forth uh, the administration is trying to do, but uh, since they've been in power since even when Obama, before he even became the nominee for the Democratic Party, uh, he made visits and uh, uh, was able to be significant in his discussions with Iran because the Democratic Party, for the longest time, through business ties, has been trying to set up a future uh, uh, footprint in Iran. Iranians are much more Western-looking, they're Eastern-looking, but they have had no choice but to work with the China Corporation Organization that doesn't even want to have the Belt and Road Initiative go through Iran. It tries to bypass it through the Southern Caucasus because it has no trust in it. But with all that said, mm -hmm. this administration really hasn't done what needs to be done to squeeze Iran, frankly, because I don't think they care about Israel. They do take the steps like they have right. uh, because they're in a position that if they don't, they may lose their only ally that they have in the region, not knowing if Iran will ever be on their side. But at the same time, you know, they, uh, they don't really care if uh, Israel is squeezed in the process. And I think everything that happened with the war, the, the attack with the Hamas, um, you know, a lot of the countries, China and some Western nations are okay that what happened to Israel, that Israel got bogged down and the Abraham Accords basically got put on the uh, back burner. This Middle East war right now, the chances of it escalating are much greater than the administration's talking points and Kirby all the time talking about de-escalation, de-escalation, de-escalation. This thing has probably nowhere to go but up. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, because if you want to de-escalate, then you take steps to de-escalate. You cannot right. <laughs> open it up to where, the way it is. You know, when Obama left the Middle East, he always wanted to leave the Middle East. He pulled everybody in to be the decision makers in the region. He brought yeah. the Iranians, the Russians, everybody else. Well, if you're going to bring five, six more people to the table, then you have to meet the requirements of all those five, six people who don't agree with each other. Uh, Sergeant Sangari, thank you uh, for joining us here, brother, on Viewpoint this Sunday, as always. 
No, thank you for the time. And like I said, I mean, as words, we're not at the decision-making table. They want to make the decisions, but hopefully they make the decision for the betterment of the U.S. and the, and the world rather than for their own political yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot hangs in the balance here, as, uh, as uh, Senator Johnson was saying in front of the broadcast as well. Uh, stay right there. More Viewpoint in just a moment. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's foreign protein cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. We join you back here on Viewpoint this Sunday. First of all, I want to introduce you to somebody new that I just think is just a, a great writer, author, but uh, the way he jumps into and gives the analysis on this, I thought has been brilliant. And it's a privilege to have him on the platform of the network here. And uh, that is, we'll call him Dr. Ted, uh, Ted Knoll, MD, as we say here. But uh, Ted, welcome, first of all. First time we've talked on here to the broadcast to Viewpoint this Sunday, sir. Well, thank you for having me. It is our privilege. And let me have you, as I introduce you to listeners now and to our audience here, take take uh, 20 seconds to tell folks about just what your backdrop a little bit and who you are, please. Okay. I am a retired physician. I practiced anesthesiology and critical care medicine for 36 years. And uh, I'm also a bit of a polymath. So I'm involved in a whole raft of discussions ranging from medicine to politics and on and on uh, into the scientific realms. But I have lately found myself completely immersed in law the nice part about law is that it has to deal with logic when you're looking at law per se. And that's what, where we are with uh, the questions arising out of the Colorado decision. One of the op-eds we want to talk about today that I encourage people to read in its entirety a couple of times, the rule of lenity, because there are so many uh, very interesting points you bring up there. But one of the pet peeves I've talked about is this insurrection business 
the insurrection that never really was uh, because nobody was ever charged with any insurrection. And first of all, let's tell folks what the rule of lenity is, because it's about lost on all of us, but it's fascinating. What is it? The rule of lenity is the rule of strict construction, and it's a principle of criminal statutory interpretation that requires when a law is unclear or ambiguous, that means can be interpreted two different ways or three or four, a court must apply the law in the manner that is most favorable to the defendant. That is, you apply it against the state. That is that point now is a brilliant point when it comes to all the questions surrounding this insurrection business and the 14th Amendment um, and what has transpired here. And back to, of course, the J6 committee and Nancy Pelosi and, uh, you know, what they were trying to accomplish here uh, through the dead of night, I guess, because it was not done in the light of day. Trump never got a chance to really put on a. a um, uh, a, a, a talk. He never played defense or offense. He was excluded from being part of that conversation. Uh, right? I mean, the J6 committee, it didn't play well, well. The J6 committee, he was excluded. In the Colorado hearing, there was actually a hearing where he was invited to present testimony, but he was not allowed discovery. He was not allowed any of the proper uh, presentations that would have said, wait a minute, you guys have a problem with this case. And as a result, the trial the judge found, yes, he committed insurrection, but no, he's not an officer of the United States. So and they, therefore- they were handcuffing him coming into that conversation. He didn't play that game. And at the end of the day, they made the decision that you don't think that you, uh, well, let's get to the Supreme Court. What do you think they do on this? Uh, I think there's a really good chance the Supreme Court goes nine zip against Colorado. Wow. And there are several points involved. Go ahead. The first one has to do with did he commit insurrection? And the problem here is simply that the term is not defined. And that gives us a problem when we look at the 14th Amendment. If you go through the history of the 14th Amendment, It was right after the Civil War, and all of the conversation, or nearly all of it, had to do with the recent insurrection, which was the Confederate rebellion under arms against the North. And so that's the context they understood it at that point. Now, does insurrection mean something else? There are several definitions out there which give you this broad range, but what what in the world is insurrection? You don't have a clear, as the law says, bright line definition. And with no bright line definition, how do you convict anybody of it? You know, Ted, the whole thing about J6 gets to me the core of it is the redress of our grievances. And the folks who went up there, you know, it was a bit of a party atmosphere for some, but I know a lot of people firsthand that were in the block of people, not didn't enter the Capitol, so they didn't end up in prison somewhere. They hunted and seek those people out, like they were, and those people have paid a heavy penalty and price to be part of this circus-like atmosphere. But a lot of people I know that were there said, really, things look chaotic on video and camera, but they weren't quite the way the media presented the case of what had happened but the redress of our grievances uh never really took place to the point of what what could have mike pence what should he have done well the issue involved has to do with 
the process of counting electoral votes. And that's all in Article 2, and it says that the vice president shall count the votes. The problem you have here is a definition. What is a vote? A vote is a preference uh, that is cast, in this case, by a duly elected elector in the time, place, and manner specified by the state legislature. And those electors are elected by citizens who are, one, eligible to vote, two, properly registered, and then they cast their preference, so-called vote, in the time, place, and manner specified by the, the uh, legislature. That's bright line law in the Constitution. And ultimately, what happened was we have a half a dozen states. I mean, the big ones come to mind are Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona. Those are the big four that come to mind instantly mm-hmm. that didn't follow the law as established by their legislature. In Georgia, you had a consent degree between uh, the Secretary of State and uh, the perennial election denier uh, governor candidate. I've lost her name for the moment. Um, In Pennsylvania, you had a Democrat suit that the Democrat-run Supreme Court said, yeah, you can have all of these drop boxes, contrary to the legislature. Uh, And, oh, you can count them days after the election, on and on. You know, so we can run through all of these things where these people violated the law. And so what Pence should have done, and incidentally, my article was quoted in a brief that was sent to Pence, a memo that was sent to Pence, Mm -hmm. saying, here's what you do. And the basic idea is in these states where it's very clear that there are questions, Mm -hmm. you simply halt the count. And you say, this state has a major problem with its process. On the public record, they violated the law. This must go back to the state legislature for the state legislature to render an opinion. See, that's all he had to do. He he wasn't asked to uh, rebuke the whole election. He wasn't asked. He that's the talking points. Oh, my God, I can't refuse to. uh, But he didn't do that. He he went ahead and got sucked into the whole narrative, basically, and didn't fulfill his uh, constitutional duties uh, based on the measurement of what you put out in this. If, Ted, if the Supreme Court, you made a bold statement a moment ago, nine to zero, if it does become that way, and we don't see much that goes that way, but you're just saying that's how uh, accurate and precise you feel about this decision. Now, if it is that way, let's let's just take this a little bit further with Trump now. Uh, We've got, uh, as you say, Colorado, we have Maine. Other states have been talking about it as well, trying to pull them off the ballot and so on and so forth. Uh, so what happens with Trump? We see what's happening. We've got the Iowa caucuses right on the doorstep here. You, you believe they're not successful to keep him off the ballot. He moves into things. Numbers are escalating high. What Give us uh, your viewpoint on uh, what do you think happens with Trump as we take this further? Uh, do you think he uh, uh, is in the right place at the right time? Do you think America, his numbers seem to be there? Does he, first of all, does he, does, can anyone else rival him in the GOP itself? And how does he do against Biden? I'm curious to get your opinion. Okay, several things. Uh, 
I wrote in American Thinker quite some time ago after the Mar-a-Lago raid that Donald Trump had become the essential candidate. I would prefer my own state governor, Ron DeSantis, but hey, Donald has become the essential candidate as the in-your-face, you have thrown everything at me, you can't win guy. That's the basic idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe... He will be the Republican nominee. I don't think there's any question about it. The other people just can't get enough oxygen. He sucks it out of the room. His persona is so much bigger than life. But you see, hold uh, on. But you see, the establishment has gotten way behind Nikki Haley. You see that going on, right? Yeah, that's going to fall real quick. She simply cannot overcome her uh, popularity deficit. And she has just recently said that all of this... Uh, Southern border stuff is from global warming. Oh my dear! Wow, I okay. saw that. I saw that yesterday. Okay, you've got to be kidding. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, she is a rhino. She's a warmonger and whatnot. And frankly, yeah, she can't compete with Trump. It just she can't do it. Yeah, point taken. Yeah, we agree. Okay. In any case, against Biden, the issue here is not can Donald Trump beat him. Donald Trump can beat Biden in his basement. Donald Trump doesn't have to come out of the basement to beat Biden, but he will, and he will pound him and pound him. Our issue here has to do with free and fair elections. And at this point, I bring up a fellow named Jay Valentine, yep. who is the guy who invented yep. the fraud detection engine at eBay. Yeah. Yep. Jay's been on this broadcast, by the way. He's been on with us, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's a big data guy yep. and clearly has shown that there are huge numbers of undeliverable ballots that will find yeah. their way to Democrat operatives to be voted for Biden. That's how Biden was installed like a toilet. Sorry. But now that we're aware of this, do we have a better shot at uh, uh, exposing more of this, uh, this next go around? Or? We real uh, first of all, the Republican national committee is worthless on this. So we have to have a lot of local candidates, state and local candidates pushing this. And if they do it, most of these states will change radically. It's even possible Trump could win California and New York because those two states are being so destroyed by Democrats. Wow. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, that's another bold prediction. Uh, if that happens, oh, man, I'll tell you what, it'll be uh, time for celebration somewhere here for sure here. Uh, Tid, let me tell folks here as we wound up here, uh, there to your uh, other op-ed as you listen to the viewpoint here on the weekend friends I i'll tell you what his uh, other uh, analysis uh, the op-ed he's got out very simple title you'll, you'll love it uh, democracy democracy and we, we felt that that title was actually appropriate i don't normally like simple titles like that but it's got the exclamation part and i just think it was real appropriate in here because that word is so screwed up and convoluted and you nail it in that piece in so many ways as you talk about uh, our uh, great constitutional republic here. That's a must read for folks. You've got to go read that piece and you'll you'll get some aha moments out of it for sure. Ted, let me uh, take a, a, just a quick moment and welcome you to uh, the network and the broadcast. And I look forward to the conversations and the uh, stories we'll have together in the future. And thank you for joining me here, brother, on Viewpoint this Sunday, sir. It is a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate your invitation. 
Thank you. Okay, so that's Dr. Ted, uh, Ted Noel, and uh, see his pieces on there and uh, get them out there, share those friends. Thank you, friends, for joining me on the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud, America.